as we transition to the sermon, we're back in 1 Peter. We're actually closing out the book today. Some of you thought this day would never come, but it is here. Uh, we've been in the book of 1 Peter since January. If you're new with us, we've been talking about the living hope that we have in Jesus, that it is imperishable, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for us, even in the midst of suffering. And as we close out the book, we're talking specifically about leadership and humility. And as we talk about this, but really every Sunday when we gather for church, here's what it's like. It's like if you're a parent and you come home and your kids are talking about how to humbly honor you and humbly honor one another. Like just imagine, parent, if you walked in your house and your kids are sitting there and they're strategizing and they're praying, and they're talking next steps of just like, how can we humbly honor mommy and daddy better? I mean, how is that going to happen? And, and us, I mean, I don't want it just to be mommy and daddy. I want it to be us. Like, how can we humbly honor one another? Imagine some of you as parents, if you walked in on that, you would pass out. Right? Because it would be amazing. You'd be overwhelmed with joy that your kids are doing that. You see, that's what we're doing today. Specifically with this to topic as we talk about humility, how to humbly honor God as we lead, how to humbly honor one another. But we do that every Sunday. If you know Jesus, you're his kid. You have a heavenly father who's looking down on this. He's looking down on you right now and he is overjoyed that we are discussing and digging into how do we humbly honor him and one another. That is the opportunity before you today. You didn't just show up to church because it's a routine or something on your checklist. We have the opportunity to be looked upon by a heavenly father who is pleased with us. And so as we do that and take advantage of this moment, the first thing we're going to look at is the humble leader, the humble leader. Grab a Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, there should be one close to you. Grab that. We're going to have the verses on the screen, uh, but we really want you to hold a Bible or a phone and look at God's word with us. So verse 1, Peter says this phrase, to exhort the elders among you. So he's going to talk about elders. If you're new to church or, or new to the Bible, maybe when you think of elders, you think of age. Maybe some of you think of a legislative council in Star Wars. I, I don't know what you think of, but when we see the word elder in the Bible, it's synonymous with pastor or overseer. You see qualifications for those guys in 1 Timothy 3 and, and Titus 1. And then throughout Scripture, we see the functions of elders and pastors. The root meaning of the word pastor in the, the Greek is to shepherd. So if you're wondering, what does an elder do? What does a pastor do? He is called to shepherd. And so as the pastor of Phoenix Bible Church, as an elder here, I am charged with the great responsibility to shepherd you, to care for you, to lead you, to protect you. That's what Peter is addressing. And as a new church, we're a year and a half in, we want to raise up more shepherds, right? We want to raise up more elders and pastors. And so this is a really foundational text for us to see what does that look like? How should a pastor lead? And the first thing we see in this passage is that Peter says that a pastor, an elder, should be among you. He addresses these elders who are among you, that a pastor, that any leader 
should be with his people, not just over his people. Do you see that? That he should be among the people. And some of you are already checking out in this because you're thinking, well, Tim, I don't want to be a pastor, so I can just take a nap, right? No, you can't, right? Because this applies to all leaders, right? Maybe you aspire to be a leader. Maybe it's in the church. Maybe it's without. But these principles, one of which is that we're among the people, not just over the people as leaders, these principles apply in the marketplace. They apply in your home. They apply in your relationships. And so this is something that affects us all. The Harvard Business Review has an article. It said that humility is one of four critical leadership factors for successful businesses and leaders. They did a survey of more than 1,500 workers from different countries, and they found that when leaders are demonstrating humility and selfless behavior, they saw three things. They saw more learning from criticism and admitting mistakes. They saw more empowerment and development. They saw more acts of courage, such as taking personal risks for the greater good. That humility is for every leader. We're going to see in a second, it's for all people. And so this applies to us all. And so Peter says, the leader, the elder, the pastor should be among you. Now, as we do talk about the church, as churches get bigger, some of you may think, well, is this possible? Is it possible for the pastor to be doing life with the people? As a church gets big and 2,000 people and, and so on, is that possible? And the answer is yes. Not with everyone, but with someone. That at some level, the pastor by nature should be among the people. That it's a group of people at our church size, that it's a lot of people. But at some level, we should always be, as pastors, among the people, not just over the people. And listen, I don't know your church experience. I don't know as you look out at other churches, maybe on TV or even in our city, but you need to know that the pastor who hibernates in his office or in the green room all week and then comes on stage and wows you for 30 minutes, that's not a pastor, that's a performer. Because a pastor is a shepherd. By nature, that's what he's supposed to do. And a shepherd is with his sheep. I don't know how many of you have ever met a shepherd. I don't know why you would in Phoenix. I haven't. But I have been to a petting zoo, and at a petting zoo with my kids, there's always sheep, and we walk in there, and we're in there for about five minutes, because that's all I can take. And we're in there for five minutes. We come out, and we smell like the sheep, right? We begin to take on their odor in just five minutes. Imagine the life of a shepherd. He's with the sheep all day, every day. He begins to take on their odor in ways that antibacterial on the way out won't help, right? A shepherd smells like the sheep. A pastor smells like the people because he's with the people. That you should be able to look at a pastor, including me, and including any pastor and say, that guy knows his people. Now, maybe every night and every person in the church, he's not with people all the time, but... That's a guy who's doing life with his people. He's not just over them, he's among them. Do you see that? That's a pastor. That's a, a shepherd. If that example doesn't help you, uh, 
verse 4, Peter refers to the chief shepherd. That's Jesus. We see in Philippians 2 that Jesus is the ultimate example of this, right? Philippians 2, that Jesus left his throne in heaven to be born in a manger in a barn. That it says in Philippians 2, he emptied himself. That he humbled himself to be born in the likeness of man. And so even if we just look at the birth of Jesus, you see this humility that's among the people. Did Jesus expect us to come to him? No. He came to us. He came to be with us. And he goes on to lay his life down on the cross. But he doesn't just lay his life down. He spends his life with others. I don't know if you've read through the Gospels. It's the first few books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What you see over and over is Jesus spends time with people, right? That he's always with the disciples. That he's always with the crowds. Except for a few moments, except for certain times in silence and solitude to pray and to prepare. That Jesus gives us this example of what a shepherd should look like. But it's not just Jesus, Peter can speak to this as well, because Peter is an elder, he's a, a shepherd. And so he begins to do that. He says, I'm also an elder, I'm a fellow elder, second part of verse one. We can look back in Peter's life, that he walked with Jesus, that he knew Jesus. John 21, after the resurrection, what happens? Jesus comes to Peter and says, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep. But Peter is saying, I'm an elder. I'm a pastor just like you. As he speaks to encourage these elders at these churches he's writing to, he's saying, I'm a fellow elder. Notice the humility there. He, he didn't have to say that, at least not that way. At the beginning of the book, First Peter, if you've been with us, how did Peter start off the book? How did he introduce himself? As an apostle. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, if you don't know, an apostle is someone who is sent out directly by God to speak on behalf of God. But notice as we get to the end of this book, as he's encouraging and equipping these elders, he doesn't go back to that title. He doesn't pull rank. He doesn't pull a status. He doesn't say, hey, I'm an I'm apostle. Remember, I'm over you. No, he says, I'm a fellow elder. That we're all on the same page. That he empathizes and he exalts. Do you see that? That he empathizes with these other elders. And then he exalts Jesus. He says, we're all partakers in the glory of Christ. We're all on the same page. I'm a fellow elder. And Peter leads by example in that way. And that he empathizes, he's with others, and he exalts. He exalts Jesus Christ. In the next few verses, he, he lays out two specific contrasts of what this looks like. Look at the verses, verse 2, it starts, you see the first contrast, and you see enthusiasm over greed. A leader, a humble leader, should lead enthusiastically and not greedily. Verse 2, he says to lead not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And so it's not under compulsion that a humble leader leads. And so it's a get to, not a have to. It's a get to, not a have to. This is the case for, for all ministry. For any of you that serve in ministry, it's, it's something we get to do. It's not something we have to do. It's not under compulsion, right? This is especially the case for a leader. 
And so specifically, as a pastor, as I meet a neighbor, as I meet my daughter's parents, uh, my daughter's friend's parents at school, and we run into each other, and the inevitable question comes, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I'm a pastor at a church. And they'll say things often like, how do you get into something like that? Well, what made you do that? And I'll say something to the effect of, when I was in college, God transformed my life through reading the Bible and through involvement in a local church. And he called me into this to be led out, to be sent out to serve for the rest of my life. And there's usually not many questions after that. <laughs> that usually shuts it down pretty quick. But listen, it should be a little bit different than most careers because it's a calling, it's not a career. It's not a career just to pay the bills. There's lots of other careers that do that better. It's a calling to serve, that it's not under compulsion. You, you get to do this. If you want to be a pastor one day, you get to have that opportunity. It's a privilege for me to pastor you, to serve you, because a humble leader doesn't lead out of compulsion, and he doesn't lead for shameful gain. And so the humble leader is not using leadership as a platform to prop himself up and see how great he is. Listen, you need to know that if you lead only to be seen and not to serve, then you are not a leader. Not the biblical definition of one. That a leader isn't leading to get, he's leading to give. It's not for shameful gain. Contrast number two. It's example over control. Humble, humble leader leads out of example, not control. Verse 3, you see that. It's not domineering, but an example. Again, we go back to the model of Jesus. He empties himself. He doesn't lord over. He leads humbly. As I lead, as others lead in our church, now and in the future, we lead humbly with the people. We don't lord over. We're examples. There's a guy named Matt Chandler in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that's a pastor there. And he has this quote, and I just love it. I'm going to read it to you. He says, God ultimately raises up leaders for one primary reason, his glory. He shows his power in our weakness. He demonstrates his wisdom in our folly. We are all like a turtle on a fence post. If you walk by a fence post and see a turtle on top of it, then you know someone came by and put it there. Isn't that a great visual? That's a leader. What's the point of that? That a leader is who he is. He does what he does by the grace of God alone, right? And that he is an example of that. That he's pointing to Jesus. As he says, follow me, he's saying, follow me as I follow him. And he's our example in that as a humble leader. That he doesn't have it all together, but he points to the one who does. He's an example some of you were thinking, how, how do we know? How do we spot this? How do you know if, if someone is a humble leader? Let me just give you three questions to ask out of this passage. First question that you would ask, is that leader, is that pastor, ask this of me, ask this of you, if you want to be a leader, if you are a leader, is he ruling from afar or is he leading up close? Is he ruling from afar 
or is he leading up close? Second question. Does he lead out of lust for power or does he lead out of love for people? Third question. Does he point to his gifts or God's grace? And so one of my prayers for myself and us as a new church as we raise up more leaders is that any platform that God gives us in this city or as leaders specifically within this body, that that platform wouldn't be a tool to show off our gifts, but it would be a tool to show off God's grace. That if we raise up a church like that, with leaders like that, we will be successful. Because we'll have humble leaders who are pointing to Jesus Christ. That's the humble leader. Let's look at the humble life. Verse 5. I don't, I don't know if we read this earlier, but you can track with me. We'll, we'll finish out the book today. Verse 5, it says to be subject to the elders. It talks about that's inferring to submitting to the elders. We've already hit on this in the book of 1 Peter multiple times, this idea of submission. We hit on it with the government. We hit on it in relationships and marriage. We hit on it in work, and now we're hitting on that same topic in the church. And remember, we gave you a definition for submission, and that definition is that you are setting aside your authority to come under authority to show God as ultimate authority. That that's our idea of submission. And so Peter is saying, you, you submit to the elders. You submit to the authority of the church. And like I said, what that means is, is that you follow me as I follow Jesus. That in any church anywhere, they're following, the people are following that leader as he follows Jesus. That you're submitting to the authority of the church as the church submits to Jesus. How do we do that? It's a difficult task. How do we submit in all of life? Verse 5 tells us, it says to clothe yourselves. That's common imagery in the New Testament. You see it in Colossians 3. You see it in Ephesians 6, putting on the armor of God. It's the idea of something you do daily. Why? Because you can't just get dressed once, right? If you do, you'll start to stink. And in the Christian life, if you just try to put humility on once, you'll start to stink with pride. And so Peter is saying, you need to clothe yourself. You need to practice this daily because if you don't, you'll get swallowed up by pride. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, pride is something we loathe in when we see it in others, but few imagine that they are guilty of it themselves. Can you relate to that? You look at the pride of others, you look at the pride of politicians, you look at the pride of other leaders, and you think, how could they be so prideful? How could they be so arrogant? And maybe you give a specific example of that, and maybe your spouse or your friend is like, didn't you do that once? <laughs> well, no, that was different. I mean, that was different. I, I had good intentions, you don't understand. Listen, we all struggle with pride, don't we? If you would say no to that, you struggle with pride. Because you're not humble enough to admit that you struggle. We all struggle with pride. We can all get swallowed up in it. And verse 5 tells us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, that pride leads to destruction. Pride leads to destruction. And you may be thinking about people, and maybe you're thinking about politicians and, and leaders and people who are wealthy, and you think, 
I'm not so sure it does, Tim. I mean, they seem to be doing pretty well for themselves. And you need to know that will last for a while, that pride will work for a while, but eventually they will fall. I think about going hiking with my family. We love to hike. We're a family of five, and so sometimes we go on our own, but sometimes we get up the courage to go as a family. And so we got babies on our chest, we got babies on our back, and we're ready to go, and the people on the mountain are kind of looking at us funny. Like, why would you do this to yourself? But we, we trek up that mountain sometimes as a family of five, and we don't always make it to the top. But we make it to a certain plateau where we can see out throughout the city. And you know what we don't do when we get up there on the mountain? We don't start to flex and think like, look at my biceps. I mean, these calves are out of control. I mean, check me out. I mean, I've been hitting the gym, but I didn't realize. We don't say, look at me. We don't say, check me out. No, what do we do? We gaze upon everything around us. We look at the mountains in the distance. We look at the skyscrapers downtown. We look at the sky and the sun. It's always present in Phoenix. We gaze upon everything around us, and you know what we eventually do? We gaze down below us, and we see the drop-off, and we see that's a long way down. Like, if we fell, that would really hurt, especially with babies on our back. That would go bad, right? And we, we look around us, we look below us, we gaze at that, and we think that's a long drop-off. And you see, if, if we lose sight of that, if we lose sight of that, if we focus solely on ourselves, and we don't look around us and, and below us, we will fall, guaranteed. We will fall, and it's a long way down, and it's not glamorous, and it's not glorious, because pride leads to destruction. And so the minute we begin to look at ourselves and puff ourselves up and say, this is me, I did this. Wow, look at me. I built myself up. I am the reason I'm at the top. The minute we do that, we fall. It's a long way down. Listen, don't wait till you fall on your face in pride to humble yourself. Don't wait. Some of you are thinking, well, it's too late. I've already done that. Listen, don't wait any longer. Humble yourself today. Put it on like clothes every day so that you don't get swallowed up in pride. What does that look like? Verse 6 says to humble yourself. Verse 7 gets into what that looks like. Look at the verse. He says, cast your anxieties on God. Verse 8, be sober-minded. So be sober. Think clearly about who God is, who you are. The gap between the two, and that will humble you to be sober about that reality. Verses 8 and 9, be watchful, resist, understand that you have an enemy that's seeking you out to devour you in your pride. You would humble yourself. You would be watchful. You'd be sober-minded. You would cast your anxieties onto God. When we begin to clothe ourselves, when we begin to humble ourselves like this, listen, there's incredible freedom. 
Because there's grace for the humble. Why? Because in that moment where you begin to, to leave pride and walk in humility, you begin to realize and it begins to set in that this isn't up to you. That your job, that your relationships, that your marriage, that your home, that keeping it clean, whatever the case may be, this isn't all up to you. And there's freedom in that, right? That God's grace is upon you, that he is on your side. Verse 10, you have the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, and he will restore, he will confirm, he will strengthen, and he will establish you, even you. That he is sufficient, that his grace will sustain you, that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and there's freedom there. And so you are freed from pride, from comparison, from insecurity. God's grace does that for you. If we'll walk in humility and experience that, there's freedom. And I know as I say that, some of you hear it and you're listening, but you wonder, does it really work? <laughs> does that really work? I mean, you start to wonder, if I walk in humility at home, will I be happy? If I walk in humility in my career, will I succeed? If I walk in humility in my relationships, won't I get run over? And maybe that's you. Maybe you're listening because we're in church to this idea of humility, and you think, that sounds cute. You're listening, but you don't, you don't think it actually works in, in real life. And so maybe you'll sit there and maybe you'll continue to listen because it would be awkward if you walked out. But when you leave here, you'll return to pride. Do you ever wonder why you do that? I think it is for a lot of us that pride gives us a false sense of security. That in our job, that in our relationships, that in our home, that if we think, I got this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to put together the plan, this is about me, I got this, that, that gives us some security. And we think, if I let that go, what would happen? I think about when you're on an airplane flying 30,000 feet in the sky and you're in a chair. Louis C.K., the great philosopher of our day, talks about that. Don't look up everything he says, but just search Louis C.K. airplane. It's amazing truth. He exegeted this really well. But he talked about how amazing that it is that we're flying in a chair 30,000 feet in the sky. So I always think about that when I'm on a plane. And then I think about when they talk about raising my seat up to a secure position. You know when they do that? Like when you're dozing off? They're always like, sir, can you please raise your seat back to the upright, secure position, right? Don't you just hate that? It's always at the worst times. But do you ever think about, we're sitting in a chair, in an airplane, flying 30,000 feet up in the sky, and they're saying, put your seat back in the upright, secure position. And I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure if we crashed, like this isn't better than this. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know that this is going to keep me secure and this is going to not. Right? How secure is that? It's false security. Listen, pride is false security. You may think it's holding you. You may think it's bringing you success. 
But how many of you, if you actually examine and evaluate your life, it's a false sense of security. That some of you want more significance, you want more success, you want more influence. And out of that, you're in a cycle of competition, of comparison. And listen, it's not helping you. It's not getting you to where you want to go. In fact, it's robbing you. It's taking from you. And those of you that are in that cycle, maybe it's in our church, maybe it's in your job, maybe it's in your relationships, you know that it, it is exhausting. And it's robbing you because it's a false sense of security that only God's grace will give you true security. That pride gives us a false sense of security. God's grace gives us eternal security. And it's only when we let go that we experience that. It's only when we clothe ourselves, put on humility, that we experience that kind of freedom. Trust me, it works. I would love for you to believe that and walk in that and not in a few weeks, in a few months, come back to me falling flat on your face in pain and the suffering that causes in pride and say, now I get it. Don't wait till then. Humble yourselves now. There's security there. How do we live this out? The first way is we lead by example. How do we live this out? We, we lead by example. So how are we humble leaders? How do we live humble lives? We, we lead by example. I think of people in our church, one person specifically who, who does this. She leads by example. And I, I'm not going to tell you her name, although I may, you may be able to figure it out. Um, she wouldn't want you to know her name because she leads by example in her service. But every morning at 8.30 a.m., this lady is in our kids' ministry across the way in the media center, and she's rolling carts down the hall. She's setting up our kids' ministry so that it looks nice, so that we have an environment where we can raise up families and kids to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. And many of you are thinking, I had no idea. Somebody did that. I thought that was the kids' ministry fairy. It's not. Like somebody does that every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. She just had a baby. But in the latter stages of her pregnancy, she was still rolling the carts across the hall, setting up our kids' ministry. Uh, they had the baby. The doctor said she needs a little bit more recovery time. And so she took some of that advice. But she came back to church a few weeks ago early because she said, I want to be here and I want to serve. Listen, Lead by example. How do we live this out? We lead by example. If you're not serving in some avenue of life, find a way to do that. Serve in an obscure way. Not a way where you're seen, but a way you just get to bless other people. That You would lead by example. That's how we become humble leaders. That's how we live humble lives. Might we be a church that's known for a humble life because we lead by example that our community, that our city would look upon Phoenix Bible Church. And if we were ever to go away, they would say, what, what happened? That's a church who led by example. They practiced what they preach. That we want to be that type of church. Not just the leaders, but across the board. That we want to lead by example as we pursue humility. The second thing is we want to learn humility. We want to learn it. It doesn't come natural. It doesn't come natural, Amen. 
Like you have to clothe yourselves. I need to clothe myself in humility. I need to practice it daily. I need to serve and encourage, not wait till I fall flat, but practice it daily, clothe myself in it, learn it. The last thing, let God establish the rest. Crawford Loritz is a pastor and a leader. I heard him speak at a conference a few years ago in Seattle. And what he said uh, in general and what he said specifically in this quote was really transformative for me as a leader. Uh, I want you to hear it. He says this. He says, whatever God wants to give you, he'll bring to you. Don't go campaigning for it. Whatever God wants to give you, he's going to bring to you. You don't have to go campaigning for it. And so some of you are working so hard, you're holding so tightly to your family, to your kids. We've got to do everything just right. We've got to control the situation. We've got to control our kids' salvation, control their schooling. And God's grace is, is telling you, let go. Let go. Let me establish all of that. Yes, put disciplines in your life. Send your kids to the right school. Teach them, grow them up, bring them to church, do all those things. But at the end of the day, let God establish the rest. You don't have to campaign for your kids. You don't have to campaign at your job. You don't have to campaign in the church. You let God establish that. You lead by example. You learn humility. You serve. You encourage. And you trust God with the rest. Don't worry so much about building yourself up. Lean on God to do that for you. And so how do we walk in this? We lead by example, we learn humility, and we let God establish the rest. He is faithful, amen? He's faithful. You can trust him better than you can ever trust yourself. You can trust him to establish you. I want to do something as we close uh, Peter has closing remarks and greetings that go all the way to 14, but we're just going to end the sermon and end this book with this. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to read something together. Would you stand with me? The verses should be on the screen, but it's going to be 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11. Let's read this in unison. You ready? Okay, it says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you will establish us, and therefore we can walk in humility. God, I pray against the enemy that would tell us that's not true. They would tell men and women, even in this room, that it's not true for them, that they're the exception to the rule. God, I pray that your grace would become evident to them, even in this moment, that it would free them up from pride to walk in humility, in their home, in their relationships, in their job, in our church. God, that we would have leaders, aspiring leaders, that are humble, that point to you. God, you have saved us. You're sanctifying us toward this end. And we get to do this for the rest of our lives. We get to watch you humble us. 
and do amazing things in and through us. God, I pray that that would be the story, that would be the legacy of Phoenix Bible Church. God, we need your help. And so even as we're standing symbolically here, we just, we just ask that you, you help us. That you help us walk in this. We, we desperately need your help. We ask for it now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.